Our scripture reading today is from Proverbs 11, 24 to 25. And this is found on page 535 in your pew Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take the one in front of you as a gift from us. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters with him will himself be watered. This is the word of the Lord. Well, some of my favorite stories, and I think uh, some of the most inspiring stories, are stories of, of generosity, of people uh, selflessly giving, uh, often sacrificially giving of themselves to, to help someone else who's in need, or uh, just to bless someone, to encourage someone spontaneously. And uh, I've heard a couple of these, these stories recently in the news that just have uh, I wanted to share with you. So one of these, actually a couple years ago, Liz Jensen uh, was a bride in Utah, and uh, she was going to pick up her, her wedding dress just a couple days before her wedding, and she had, the dress was done, it was altered, ready to go, and she went to pick up the dress and to pay for it. And as she approached the, the counter to pay, and even before she could take out her wallet, the, the cashier stopped her and said, uh, no, ma'am, your, um, your dress is already paid for. A couple of women earlier in the, in the line, um, she just stranger, but decided she wanted to do that and just pay for someone's dress today. Totally paid for, random, anonymous stranger just giving. Love that story. Uh, maybe you heard this summer, um, Le- LeBron James is in the process of, of opening a school in Akron, Ohio, that's going to guarantee funding for kids basically from the very beginning of their education all the way through college with some of the most uh, disadvantaged, most struggling neighborhoods in Akron. Uh, that school, it's called the I Promise School, uh, that, that, that could mean an outlay of over $100 million for LeBron James over the coming decades. Which, I mean, even for somebody who's like super rich, like LeBron James, $100 million is a lot of money. I mean, that's costly generosity. Or another story I heard, because it doesn't have to be big, big things, right? It doesn't have to be uh, massive uh, millions of dollars. It doesn't have to be buying somebody a wedding, wedding dress. It can be just a simple act of kindness. So I was reading this week, I just was looking for stories of generosity, reading this week about Marshawn Lynch. She's a, a running back for the Oakland Raiders now. And he used to be with the Seattle Seahawks, and recently those teams met up, and they were kind of talking to uh, different players from both teams about Marshawn Lynch's experience when he was with the Seahawks. And one of the players in the Seahawks said, you know, one of my earliest memories of, of playing with Marshawn was that when I, and I was just a, a rookie player, and, and he was a veteran, and we were in the locker room together, and I just commented that I liked his backpack. And right there in that moment, uh, Marshawn just emptied out of the backpack right there, kind of on the floor in the locker room, and handed it to me and says, here, it's yours. That's just a little act of kindness, but it stuck with that player who was new all those years later. So we love these kinds of stories of generosity, whether it's, you know, big multi-million dollar gifts or just little acts of kindness. But the question is, why often then so do we not actually change our own habits to do those kinds of things? I think we often hear those things and we, and we think, oh, I'd, I'd love to do that. Wouldn't it be cool to be able to do that for someone? Maybe I can't give $100 million to start a school, but wouldn't it be cool to, to just give a gift to someone like that? 
But how often do we actually follow through with that? Uh, How often do we actually intentionally change our spending habits so that we actually have the kind of margin in our lives to be able to do that? And and not just necessarily in a a one-off random kind of act, but, but intentionally, regularly, as part of the fabric of our lives, as part of the, the habit of who we are to, to be a generous person. Uh, several years ago, Christianity Today uh, magazine did a, a big research project on, on giving in the context of the local church, and they wanted to find out just uh, some basic facts. Like how many people on average give uh, at a local church? How many people tithe? That is, how many people actually give 10% or more of their income to the local church? And what they found is about 10 to 25% of people in the local church on average tithe. That is, they give 10% or, or more of their income to the local church. But there was two things that were actually really fascinating to me about those who are that generous in that kind of way. The first is this. They found that 63% of those who tithe to their local church started doing that between childhood and their early 20s. That that, that habit was established early. And actually, when you think about it, long before they would have had substantial income, right? If you're a kid, college student, high school student, it's not like you're bringing in these huge paychecks. But that was when they started making the pattern of giving 10% of of what they had to their local church. 63% began in childhood and early 20s. Here's the other thing that was fascinating to me about that study, is that it wasn't just those who earned the most who tithed. It wasn't just like, oh, there's a bunch of people who make a lot of money in the church and those are the ones who give the most. No, actually what they found is that people who tithe, who give 10% or more of their income to the church, were evenly distributed across the income spectrum. Which tells me this, that generosity is much more about wisdom than wealth. It's much more about how much uh, you know how much you trust God than how much you have. Generosity is much more about wisdom than about wealth. Generosity is wise whether you have a little or whether you have a lot. And this fall, we've been looking at the book of Proverbs, asking the question, what is the, what is the wise life? We've defined wisdom as the skill of living well in God's world. The skill of living well in God's world, and we've talked all the way through this as well, is that wisdom is not simply a set of facts. It's not just uh, information to be memorized. No, it's a person to know. It's someone to follow and love and obey, that the wisdom is is this relationship with God. It's it's learning how to live well in his world, And, and you can't live very well in God's world for very long without learning to be wise with our possessions, with everything that we have, And you find in the book of Proverbs that there's a lot here about making the most of what we have, financially and otherwise. But one of the biggest threads in the book is this category of wealth, of of money, of possessions. How do we live well in God's world with that part of our life? And so this morning as we look at the book of Proverbs and follow that theme, we're going to see that the wise know three things about money. The wise know three things about money. And the first is this. The wise know that money is power. The wise know that money is power. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 16. It's on the screen there. The wage of the righteous leads to life, but the gain of the wicked to sin. The wage of the righteous 
leads to life, but the gain of the wicked to sin. In other words, what this proverb is saying is that money isn't neutral. If you give money to someone who is righteous, someone who's just, someone who's generous, it will lead to life. But if you give money to someone who is wicked, someone who is selfish, someone who is greedy, it's going to lead to destruction. The wise understand that money has that kind of power. They, they know that money has the power to blind. Money has the power to blind. Because uh, think about it. Uh, who here thinks that they're greedy? They'd say, yeah, that's me. I'm pretty greedy. Right? No one ever answers yes to that question. No one says, hey, I'm greedy. But, but money has the power to blind us to our greed in a way that few other things do. I mean, we all have blind spots in different areas, but money and, and finance is so unique in this way. Uh, because, right, you, you, know, you know when you've committed adultery. Right? You don't just someday wake up next to someone who isn't your spouse and be like, wait a second, who are you? I'm not married to you. You know when you've committed adultery. But how do you know when you've been greedy? How do you know if you're greedy? It's a lot harder. Money has the power to blind us to that. Uh, Proverbs 18, 10 and 11 says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous man runs into it and is safe. And look at the contrast here. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. I'm like a high wall in his imagination. See, money has the power to blind us, to shape our imagination, to bring us into a place of subtly trusting not in the name of the Lord, not in God to provide and protect for us, but to begin to trust in what we have in our bank accounts, in our, uh, in our resources. Because the, the, the point that this proverb is making is that it's possible for you to subtly make wealth rather than the name of the Lord, rather than trusting God, the actual thing that you look to for security and safety and hope. Money has that kind of power to shape the imagination, to blind us to greed, to blind us to what we're really trusting in. But, but the wise know that, that not only is money does it have the power to blind, it also has the power to bless. Money has incredible power to bless. Uh, I mean, because who here? I mean, I think all of us could probably tell stories about how a gift of, of, of money or resources along the way has blessed us, has made it possible for us to do something we wouldn't otherwise be able to do. And I think about a time this summer when uh, we were preparing for our baby to be born, and it was in that, that stage where we were moving the girls into the same room and getting the nursery ready. There was a lot of trips to Ikea. A lot of money was going out. Um, we were, were saving up dollars to, to put toward the deductible for the baby being born, all that stuff. It was just a time where we were starting to feel the crunch of the finances and getting ready for the baby to be born. And in July, before he was born, we, we gathered with my family for the 4th of July. And out of the blue, out of nowhere, my parents gave each me and, and each of my sisters uh, a check, a financial gift, just because. No reason, just because. And it wasn't tens of thousands of dollars, but you know what? It was almost exactly the amount of those IKEA trips and kind of the money we wanted to set aside for the deductible. Just a gift. An incredible blessing. We all need this from time to time. I hope all of us have experienced that from time to time, an unexpected gift of generosity. 
we recognize the power of money to bless so often when we're on the receiving end of it. But sometimes we forget about its power to bless when we're in the position to give. Let me say that again. So often it's like, oh yeah, when someone's given me a gift of resources, like, oh yeah, that's a huge blessing. But so often we forget about the capacity of money to bless when we have the opportunity to give. We only see it as a sacrifice, as something that's costly to us, not as a a way to truly bless someone else. I've always been stunned by Proverbs 19, 17. It's one of those verses that it's almost like when you hear it read in a list of others and you said, guess which one of these verses in the Bible? I don't believe that's actually in the Bible. It doesn't, it doesn't sound, but, but it's here. It says that, and it basically it says this, if you give to those who are financially disadvantaged, to those who are financially in need, you're actually giving. And the word, I'm going to read in a second, the word the Proverbs use is lend. You're actually lending to the Lord. Listen to this, Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. The Proverbs set up our generosity to those in need as actually sort of a a loan to God that he repays to us. Incredible. Money has the power to blind, yes, but it also has incredible power to bless. But we have to remember too, it has the power to enslave, right? I mean, again, similar to greed, who would answer yes to the question, I have enough? We might say, oh yeah, I have enough, but like deep down, I know I could use just a little bit more money. I don't know about you. I could use a little bit more. Not not a lot more, but I could use a little bit more. We're all there, aren't we? We really have enough. We always want a little bit more. And and especially before Rachel and I started a regular habit of budgeting, the, the number one thing that kept me up at night, and I don't mean that in a metaphorical sense, I mean literally the thing that would keep me awake at night, laying in bed, was worrying about money. How much energy do we expend worrying about money, finances? Will there be enough? Will there be enough to maintain a certain lifestyle? Will there be enough when we retire? Will there be enough? And how many evils at the end of the day are rooted in a a love and over-desire for for money? And just think we're, this fall, we're, we're 10 years on from the financial crisis of 2008, and we're still in some ways feeling the, the effects of that from 10 years ago. And that was a complex moment in our history. In some ways, we're only, we're still beginning to, to fully understand all that went on in that. But, but at least part of that was fueled by desire for a little bit more, by a desire for more. And again, wealth creation through jobs and trade and entrepreneurship, those are really good things that help societies flourish, but they can also so easily become corrupted by an insatiable desire that enslaves us to a never-ending quest for just, just a little bit, just a little bit more. Money has the power to enslave, but it also has the power to free. Money also has the power to free. Uh, when you look at Proverbs 11.10, it, it gives this picture of, of the righteous, those who are generous and just, and, and what happens when they, uh, when they are flourishing in a city. Listen to Proverbs 11.10. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. When people of justice control resources and influence in a city, the city rejoices. People are set free. Just laws are enacted. Generosity rules the day. It has the power 
Generosity has the power to free, to cause, to participate in flourishing. And one example of that here in Kansas City, just a, a legacy of that, if, whether you've been around for just a little bit in Kansas City or if you've grown up here, you, you can't go anywhere in the city without hearing the name Kaufman, right? Marion Newman Kaufman started uh, Marion Labs as an entrepreneur, built this, grew in wealth, and was committed, though, to, to giving that away and helping Kansas City to flourish, Right now, there's Kauffman Stadium and the Kauffman Center for the Performing Arts and the Kauffman Schools Project and the Kauffman Foundation that continues to encourage entrepreneurs and education in our city. A legacy in Kansas City of, of generosity that when you put someone like that in a place of position and influence in a city, the city rejoices. Money has the power to free. Money is powerful, and it's never neutral. If you put money into someone's hands, they're going to either do something, it's either going to be used wisely or it's going to be used foolishly. There's kind of only two paths with it. The wise know that power of money. Do you know the power of money? Both the power to, to blind and to enslave, but also the power to bless and to set free. The wise know that power and they act accordingly. How are you using it? Whether you have a little or a lot, are you using it wisely or foolishly? So wise people know money's power. Second, wise people always find a way to give. Wise people always find a way to give. This is another theme you see throughout the Proverbs. And, and, and we, <laughs> you can call this the paradox of generosity, wise always find a way to give because they trust the paradox of generosity. Um, look at Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25 again. This is actually the text that we heard just before the message, but let me, let me read it for us again because it's, it's so powerful. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. Listen to God's word here. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, but only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters himself will waters will himself be watered. This is the paradox of generosity. That the more we give away, somehow the more we have. And this is not the only place you see this. This is a pattern throughout Scripture that somehow the more you give away, the more you have. Now, we need to be careful with a passage like this in Proverbs. Because if you, if you misinterpret it, if you don't understand it in the context of the broader scriptures, it can be easy to manipulate Proverbs 11 into saying something that it doesn't actually say, that the Bible doesn't actually teach. Sometimes it's called the prosperity gospel. That if you, if you want to get rich, you just got to give that money away and then God will bring it back to you. And if you're not rich, you just haven't given enough away yet. You don't have enough faith and you need to keep giving. The more money you give, the bigger your bank account will be. Many a prosperity preacher has become wealthy by saying, if you want money, you better give your money to me. But let me tell you this. If you are just giving with the motivation of getting, then you don't have generosity, you have idolatry. If your motivation is giving and giving is only that you will get something in return, you don't have generosity, you have idolatry. 
And I don't think anyone has put this more powerfully, more poignantly than theologian and rapper Shailen. In his, in his song, False Teachers, which is kind of a, a denouncing of the prosperity gospel, he writes this. He says, don't be deceived by this funny biz. If you come to Jesus for money, then he's not your God. Money is. Jesus is not a means to an end. The gospel is he came to redeem us from sin. Every time I hear that line, that Jesus, <laughs> that if you come to Jesus for money, then he's not your God, money is, man, that convicts me. Not just because it's about money, but how often do I come to Jesus for other things than Jesus? If you come to Jesus for money, he's not your God, money is. But, but if we are generous as a response to God's love for us, if we're generous as a response of love to our neighbor, seeking to, to see them, them flourish, to, to enjoy, to see them enjoy and share in the good gifts that God has given, then we will find that over time our, our world is not shrunk or impoverished by our giving, but it's actually enlarged and enriched. But not always financially. And this is where I think we get, can get hung up. Sometimes if you make a lifetime of, of being financially generous, you may end up with financially less resources at the end, and that's okay. The idea isn't that necessarily your life continues to be enriched, you just keep stacking the stacks of money higher and higher. Though sometimes that happens, right? Those who are the most successful in business are often those who have found the ways to serve the most. But your life is enriched. That's why I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this proverb in the message. He actually kind of takes the, the wealth financial overtones out of it just a little bit, and you can see it this way. I think this is brilliant. This is the point of the Proverbs. Proverbs 11.24 in the message the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. I love that. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And sociology backs this up. Because this isn't just sort of good uh, philosophy or good religion. Uh, the, the sociology backs this up. There's been many, many studies that that generous people are the most happy people. They're the happiest people. Uh, just a few years ago, Notre Dame, out of Notre Dame, they did a, a big study on generosity, a sociological study. And they published the research in a book called The Paradox of Generosity, Giving We Receive, Grasping We Lose. Just listen to how they describe this. They say generosity is paradoxical. Those who give receive back in turn. By spending ourselves for others' well-being, we enhance our own standing. And letting go of some of what we own, we better secure our own lives. By giving ourselves away, we ourselves move toward flourishing. And they say this is not only a philosophical or religious teaching, it is a sociological fact. So why does it work this way? Well, it begins by reorienting our perspective that when we, are, we freely give, there's joy in recognizing that our money doesn't belong to us anyway. Everything we have is a gift. We're not owners. We're managers. God has entrusted us with these resources to manage for him. They're not ultimately ours. And so we can have a reorientation of how we think about them. And there's great joy in that. It also means then that hoarding resources isn't, isn't just wrong. Spending it on ourselves isn't just selfish. It's actually, if you, if you trust the sociological research, it's actually just dumb. <laughs> because they're, they're saying that the, the best way to make yourself happy 
is to give. Actually, the best way to find happiness is to give. So what do we do from here? What does this actually look like? How does this work out in life? And I, and I want to get practical here for a minute in this. But at the same time, also know in a room this size, we're all at really different places in this conversation, this journey of, of relating to finances and, and how we give and all that. Um, some of you give nothing. You're just at the very beginning of this. You're like, I, I've never even thought about giving to anyone anything before. <laughs> Maybe you're there this morning. Also, many of you sitting in this room have sacrificed deeply and given generously for a long, long time. You're one of those who started when you were a kid, and it's just been a part of your life ever since. So, so in light of that, let me just suggest two things for, for all of us here, no matter where we're at this morning. That. And the first is this. Number one, give first, save second, and spend third. Give first, Save second, spend third. That's, that's the first thing. Give first. That's the, that ought to be our number one priority. But how many of us have that backwards? How many times in my own life have I had that backwards? Where it's spend first, save second, if there's any left for saving, and then really maybe if there's a tiny bit left over, then give. We've got to reverse that order. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits, the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. The point of this problem is don't give the leftovers. Don't, don't wait around to see what's left. And then if you have some leftover, give. And you guys know how this works. There almost is never any leftover, right? But then you might say, well, but Bill, that's scary. What if I do give first? And then there's more month and paycheck. <laughs> well, think about the first people who read these verses. Talking 3,000 years ago, ancient wisdom literature, the first people to hear these words. Th- these weren't, we're, we kind of take these as this is metaphorical for us, the first fruits. Okay, that's our, the first part of our paycheck. But for them, that was literally the first fruits. That was not a metaphor for them. That was actually take the first of your wheat harvest, the first of your apples, the first of everything you've grown, and give those to the Lord. Now now think about you're a farmer, the crops are just getting ripe, this is what your family is going to depend on to live, to not starve through the winter. Before you know how even the whole harvest is going to turn out, God calls them, give the very first and best to me. It's always been a matter of trust no matter who you are, from the very beginning of this. Give first. And if you're going to give first, it it means that if you're going to consistently do that, you have to have some kind of a budget or spending plan and you have to stick with it. The only way you can consistently prioritize giving is if you make a plan for how you're using your money. And the number one category in any budget for the wise is the question, how can I give how can I give? Now, if that seems impossible for you this morning, whether it's because of debt or underemployment or unemployment or just the, the constant reality of it always seeming like there's more month than paycheck. And we all need help in this. We can all grow in, in managing resources. Um, 
But I'll just say Financial Peace University is a great place to start. About three and a half years ago, um, Rachel and I went through that together, and it completely changed the way we, we dealt with our finances together, especially as a couple. We stopped wondering where our money went and started telling it where to go, and it changed everything. And I'd encourage you to take that class. If you've never done Financial Peace University, no matter who you are, where you're at, maybe you've, man, I'm drowning in debt, or maybe you say, I'm doing pretty well. There's great things to be learned in that. And um, we offer that regularly at Christ Community. I know there's classes happening again in the spring. But maybe you say, I just want to do that right away. Go on to Financial Peace University, put your uh, zip code in, and there's places in the city all the time hosting classes. You can jump in there. But you, and you know the most shocking thing to me when I took Financial Peace University? A lot of it was just basic good budgeting stuff that I was familiar with. The thing that was most shocking to me when I took it, and, and if you know anything about Dave Ramsey, I mean, this is the guy who says, do anything you can to get out of debt. You sell that car that's too expensive. I mean, just radical. Sell whatever you have to to get out of debt. Do whatever you have to to get out of debt. But do you know what the first thing Dave does when he talks about budgeting? No matter how much you're in debt, he says you first thing you do is you start giving 10% to your local church. And I was like, wait a second. Wouldn't he say, no, stop giving to any charitable things and start paying off your debt so you can be generous later? And he says, even if, no matter how much debt you're drowning, your first step is to start giving generously. Why? Because it reorients your loves. It reorders your heart. And if you don't make it a priority when you don't have anything, it's not going to be a priority later on when you do have. So that's the first thing. Give first. The second thing is this, give more. The wise give more. And and this morning, probably some of you would want me to, I'm not going to tell you how much to give. I'm not going to say, here's the number, here's the percentage, here's the, here's the net, here's the gross, was, you know, do I give off of that, or before taxes, after taxes, all that. We're not going to do that this morning. But, le- but let me say a quick word about tithing, though. And we do believe that the Scriptures teach that the, sort of the baseline of obedience, the pattern in the Scriptures, is to give 10% of your income to the local church, to God's people, to God's family. Now, some of you might be sitting here thinking, that's, in, that's crazy. That's insane. I, I, Bill, if you saw my finances, you would know that's insane. But then I just go back to Dave. Dave Ramsey says, you got to start there. got to start there. But, and I can also hear others of you saying, though, but wait, Bill, isn't that, that's like, a, isn't the tie a thing? Isn't that all the Old Testament? Isn't that under the Old Testament law and like that's not enforced anymore because we're under grace in the New Testament. Like, so that's not the requirement anymore. That's a valid question. But I would just answer that with another question. And that is, if you spend time reading the New Testament, if you ever found a place where grace lowers the bar for obedience, where grace says, you know what? Actually, God's law doesn't matter that much anymore. You just kind of do whatever you want. No, Jesus always raises the bar. And, and grace is there to empower us to be able to do that, to live into this life that Jesus calls us to live. But Jesus doesn't say, uh, I'm going to lower the bar on, um, on sexual morality. No, he raises it in the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't say, you, you, some of you say, you've heard it said, if you commit adultery, 
He says, if you even look at someone with lust in your mind, you commit adultery. Jesus raises the bar. He doesn't lower it. I heard a pastor once say that <laughs> we look at the New Testament standard for generosity, we look to Jesus. Jesus didn't tithe his blood. He gave all of it. He gave himself completely for us. He becomes the standard for generosity. It doesn't lower the bar. Grace raises the bar to look at everything that we own, to be used to serve others, to serve God, to be given. Okay, so I don't want this to get hung up on percentages this morning, but I do want to ask a few diagnostic questions that I think will help us begin to kind of process, am I, am I really being generous or do I need to, to grow in this? Um, first question is this. This is just, these are some diagnostics to help you process. Where, where am I at in this generosity journey? The, f- the first one is this. Are there things that you want or want to do that you have to say no to because you're being generous? Are there things that you want or want to do that you, that you end up saying no to because you're being generous? If not, if you're not ever denying yourself anything, or much of anything, you're probably not being generous. Two, here's the second question. Uh, compare your lifestyle with a group of, of non-Christians who make about the same amount of money as you do. And, and, and no judgment on, on them, but you just look at, if you're, if you're saying, my life has been transformed by the radical self-giving grace of Jesus. And I look around at people in my neighborhood who make about the same kind of income as I do. If there's no difference in my lifestyle and theirs, then I'm probably not, I'm probably not being generous. I'm not as generous as I ought. Now, here's another way of getting that at this. Just like think up and kind of add up all the the extras in your life. I'm not talking about the essentials for life or even just the basics of of kind of a comfortable life. But just money you spend in pursuit of happiness, entertainment, comfort, vacation, the extras. Do you spend more on yourself trying to make yourself happy than you give away which God promises will make you happy? If you spend more on yourself trying to make yourself happy than giving away which God promises will make you happy, you probably aren't as generous as you could be yet. And this is the last question, especially for those who are being generous, and that is the story of so many. I mean, Christ community, I can't even tell you, is such an incredibly generous church. And so this is a, a, a question for those of us, for those of you who have really leaned into this generosity over time. The question is this, wherever you're at, wherever you at in this, are you still seeking to give more away? Wherever you're at, are you still seeking to give more away? Right, because a wise person never checks generosity off the list. A wise person never says, okay, boom, I'm, I'm completely, fully generous. I've done generosity. I can move on to something else. Right, and you know this, right? If you know people who are really, think of the people in your life. I'm sure that you've got people, the most generous people in your life. Are they the kinds of people who feel like, oh yeah, I've arrived in generosity? No, they're always the kinds of people who, who are looking for, for new ways, for more ways to serve, to give. It's just become so much a part of who they are. So if you are 
generous. No matter where you're at, just keep looking for ways to do more. And, and this is hard, though, I know. When Rachel and I look at the, the, the needs of our family as it growing, especially in this stage of life, it seems like those expenses are only getting higher. Like, how can we continue to be more generous? And yet I regularly pray for my own heart that I would, I would be more obedient, that God would show us ways of, of being able to be more generous. Because we, we trust in the paradox of generosity. Now listen, in light of all this, I know that many of you maybe feel super overwhelmed um, because you're, you're not fully living into, you're not fully obeying God's design for generosity in your life. And, and moreover, you feel like, and gosh, I, don't, I don't even know if I can. This kind of seems like a, a burden. And I get that. And there's grace for you in that. Because Jesus did not say, once you've given enough, then I'll love you. Now, Jesus said, before you were even born, before the foundation of the world, I loved you, I chose you, I called you to myself. Jesus said this, he said, even when you were my enemy, I died for you. So this morning, it's Jesus' love for you is not dependent on how much you give. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. He loves you no matter what. But please, for your own sake, for your own happiness, give. Become a generous person. And, and, and just pick a percentage. If you're, if you're not doing this, pick a percentage. 3%, 7%, 12%, whatever it is, wherever you, whatever you can do, start somewhere and then seek to increase it over time. If anyone asks me that question, Bill, how much to give? I just say, look at your, give what you can. Set the percentage of what you can do today and then seek to increase it over time. But again, if you're ungenerous, if you walk out of here and do nothing, I'm just, I'm just heartbroken ultimately for you. Because only a generous life is a life that will never be empty. And here's the last thing, and it's quick. Wise people, they know that money's power. The wise, they, they are always looking for a way to give. And they can do that because wise people know their provider. Wise people can be generous because they know their provider. They, they know their provider and they know that it's not them. They know that all that they have comes from God they know that they are made in the image of a God who gave everything for us to both create us and to redeem us. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says this, For though you, were, for, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. You see, Jesus himself, God himself, who is richer than God, he became poor. He gave everything. He poured himself out completely for us on the cross. He gave us his very life for the forgiveness of our sins. And that, for centuries now, has moved, inspired the church to respond with incredible whole life generosity. Because do you know it was the church, the local church, people like us, who started the first hospitals and universities and orphanages 
every kind of social service imaginable. Uh, We, as the people of God, the local church, has done that all throughout history because God's people have been generous, sacrificially generous, for the flourishing of their neighbors, their communities, their world. And what would Christ's community do with more? What would Christ's community do with more resources? If people were more generous, what would, what would we do here? Because one of the things, you know, we often hear is that, well, it seems like Christ's community is doing really well. In fact, didn't you just give a financial update the other day that we were coming in a little bit above what we predicted for the budget? I mean, five campuses, Christ's community is doing fine. They don't need my money, right? That's a fair question. But what would Christ, but what would we do if there were more? What could, what could Christ's community do with more? And, and in one level, 30 years into this as a church, and next year is the 30th anniversary, our needs have never been greater because we're not just one church. We're one church in five locations spread out across the city. And one day, maybe, Lord willing, we'll even be more locations. That's something we could do. Start, start new campuses, reaching more people. But even now, the needs are great. You know, our, our Shawnee Mission campus, our newest campus, they're, they're homeless, so they don't have a permanent church home. They meet in the middle school. Uh, I don't know if you, what you thought of middle school um, when you were there, but they, they meet in a middle school cafeteria. That's where they have church. They're having church there right now in a middle school cafeteria. Um, and it's a lot of energy to set that up, tear that down every week. It's, it's a hindrance to the, the, the progress of growth there over the long haul. We want to find a permanent home for Shawnee Mission. That takes a lot of resources. What about our downtown campus? It's so strategically positioned in the center of our city. It's had some of the the highest growth percentages of any of our campuses in the history of our church, and they are outgrowing their tiny space. In fact, uh, the kids don't even fit in there. All summer, their, their kids met in a tent in the alley behind the church building space. And because it's getting cold, we were able to find another space in a building down the block. They're outgrowing that space. The lease is up soon. We need to find a space that's bigger, more permanent for downtown. It's expensive to multiply, to reach out, to give ourselves away, but that's who we are. That's what God has called us to be, and that's so much more exciting than being stingy. As a church, our outreach budget this year is almost $900,000. We give that to organizations, the best organizations we can find around the world, here locally, in our own leadership development pathways through a residency and fellows program to give ourselves away. That's where your resources go, your generosity goes at Christ's community. Just imagine what we could do next together. The generous life will never be an empty life. And we get to be a part of God's work in the world. Would he help us, God help us, to be faithful? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you, um, you would help us to become more obedient, help me to become more obedient in the life of generosity, uh, not because we're afraid of what will happen if we don't, but because of the great promise of joy that you've given and that shows in, in so many ways that happens when we do give. We be inspired not by guilt, but by grace, by the unparalleled grace of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.